Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. And here comes the Celtic captain and receives the cup from the Prime Minister. I'm delighted to announce on behalf of the FAI that Mick McCarthy is our new international manager. Win heads on. Oh, surely this time for Keane. And Ireland do it. Robbie Keane. Mick McCarthy, born the 7th of February 1959. Mick joined his hometown team, Barnsley, at the age of 18 and made over 300 appearances. A move to Manchester City in 1983, where he played over 160 times, was followed by his best two years as a player at Celtic. Then there was a spell at Lyon, as well as playing for the Republic of Ireland on no less than 57 occasions. He played in both Euro 88 and Italia 90. Then came the move into management, and it's seen Mick take charge of Millwall, Sunderland, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Ipswich and his country. The highs and lows. Mick, it's great to talk to you. And you, Mark. Nice to see you. And to go back, because uh, a fascinating upbringing for you. A father from Waterford, who was a lorry driver, who searches for work in Yorkshire and also finds a wife in Josie. And you, one of four. Yeah, he he, uh, he actually came and went. He went down the pit, I think, at first. Mm. I'm certain he did. But uh, I think he got a bit of sense. He decided that uh, going down the pit and digging coal from miles away from where he went in is not not what he wanted to do. And he he came out and took a job as a lorry driver, which uh, I got great fun out of as a kid as well, because I used to sit in the wagon with him and go all over the place delivering stuff for tarmac and what have you, which was great at the time. Uh, yeah, one of four. The elder brother John, younger brother Kev, and my sister Catherine. And great, I had a, had a great upbringing in Barnsley, yeah. At that stage, of course, you perhaps didn't realise it, but you had dual nationality, didn't you? I knew very early on, because junior school with all my pals, but I'm going with the Keatons, the McNicholases, the McHughes, the, the Mc whatever you want, and, and all their parents are Irish, my dad's Irish. Mm. Quite clearly their accents are different to mine, and uh, not the kids, but all the parents. Mm. All very friendly, all going to the same church, all very Irish-dominated. I asked him at a very early age, my dad, I said, you know, what am I? You're Irish, my mum's English. And his explanation was I was half and half, half English, half Irish. So I could play for England, but play for Ireland. That didn't affect me till a few years later on, but uh, it was a nice choice to have. I think as well the way he said that showed you the man and the manner of your father, that he, he said it's, you know, what you want in the end. Absolutely. I mean, look, my dad, had, my dad had come from a family of, I think, 13 there was, living in two, maybe three rooms in Waterford. I had some great chats with him. when as He was poorly late on in his life, and I used to go and sit with him and chat to him. And I, I should say to every single kid, talk to your parents, find out what they do, what they did, because you think you know them, and actually, you don't. It's just mum and dad. And so I had some great chats, and... Uh, he uh, he came over from there, and he was welcomed into my mother's family by uh, my mother's mother, my grandma. To be honest, I think uh, he loved his life there. He was welcomed in with open arms, and he didn't actually go back to Ireland for 45 years. I went back with him for, for people in need. So his his affiliation to, or affiliation, his love is uh, for, for my mother's family was quite clear to see how welcomed he'd been. So as you mentioned, you were born in Barnsley in 1959. You 
studied first of all or went to Our Lady's Junior School. And when did you first kick a football? Uh, probably when I can't remember, because uh, my old fella used to. He, he, he was a he, he was a hurler to be honest, but he loved his sport, and uh, the table would be shifted in the house, and we had curtains that came all the way down to the floor. They were the goals we'd play in there. We played anywhere. We broke every fence, every around the place, as kids. But I know he would have been doing it, and uh, he was he was always. Hidigooty or Puskas and doing the drag back and turning mm -hmm. up my gear. Those were the players of, well, whoever I want you on to mention now, but they were the famous ones. And of course, it was pretty, well, the right fit, really. Barnsley, born and bred. Barnsley, your first football club. But on the way to that, by the time you got into your early teens, that you were quite tall for your age and showing real promise. Uh, I think that appears to be the case now. I'm not so sure. Uh, you know, I played in every team as a kid as I was growing up, going through all my school years. I'd, I'd have played in every team. I, if there was ever going to be a captain, they always seemed to get, I seemed to get the captain's... No, I didn't get an armband. You just told you had to blow the ball <laughs> up and pick the team at my first school. Which, funnily enough, I, there was, we had a headmaster, and then when he left, everybody, all the teachers were ladies. So they used to give me the ball to blow up. They used to pick the team and do everything by the time I was 10, coming to 11. Brilliant. As a teenager, I, I was let go by Barnsley boys at, at 15. Mm. You know, I'm sure they had the reasons why. I I always used to think it was uh, that bitter and twisted bit when you think it's because all the other parents used to take their kids there and they used to stand and watch. My old fellow used to work on a Saturday, so he didn't. So, and, so at 15, I, I, yeah, I was growing, I was tall, I was probably just the same player as I've always been, that robust you know no nonsense even at that age and it was it was having been let go by Barnsley boys that's you think no chance and then two years later at 16 somebody tells me that I've got a chance to be an apprentice footballer at Barnsley I thought it was wonderful everybody else thought it was bonkers they thought but having said <clears> that I mean you you knew that you you played in a couple of games it hadn't worked out for you as you mentioned and then you were all ready to follow your dad weren't you as a an apprentice electrician down the pit I was yeah I'd, uh, I'd, I'd passed the interview I'd passed the pre-selection test I was waiting for a fitness test I was kind of hoping that I was going to pass that I'm sure I would have done and thank goodness there wasn't a there wasn't a job there for me. We had to I had to wait, and it got to uh, got to well, going through October, November, December, and it was Keith Steele who was the son of Johnny Steele, who was the secretary, being the manager at Barnsley. He used to run the boys' club team. He uh, I was I was playing in men's football for the for the Brig Bottom we call them. It's Worsbury Bridge. I played for them. I was playing for the Swathe Main pub team at sixteen or the club team, and uh, playing for the boys club not Barnsley boys but Barnsley boys club and Keith Steele said to me one day he said Barnsley you know he'd been in touch with his dad and they'd said they showed an interest that they would like to sign me uh, I was saying I wasn't ferried down there in a, in a limousine I'd caught the bus went down knocked on the door and they didn't know who I was <laughs> <laughs> I think it also it would have been 20 quid a week as an electrician apprentice and only mm. a tenner at Barnsley, it was actually 35 quid a week. Oh, was it? Yeah, they were paying them 35 quid a week. Oh, so, right. so you can imagine, as a 16-year-old, being three times the money, three and a bit times the money, three and a half times the money, the uh, the drag was there as well, especially as people... Nobody was giving me a chance of being a footballer anyway. There was no suggestion up until that point when Keith Steele said to me, I was just playing and enjoying it. The first manager you worked for would be Jim... Jim Eiley. Yeah. And you, it was 18 when you yeah. sort of got involved properly. He, uh, Jim d did like to give you the uh, the acid tongue, you know. The happy days. Uh, and happy days, and you, and you stayed at Barnsley for some time, but just a couple of the other managers. I mean, if, for our generation, and we're, we were born in the same year, Mick, Alan Clark, followed by Norman Hunter. Well, that, that was my... Uh, I was the happiest man alive when Clarky got the job because I was a Leeds fan. Still am. As much as the fact I spent the rest of my career trying to either kick all their players and beat them or manage teams and beat them. So it's, it's a bizarre life we we lead. Yeah. But I was, and then to see that Alan Clark turned up, and he was brilliant. He, he turned the club around. Did he have really different ideas? Yeah, he had, he had different ideas of, first and foremost, the players not washing the kit. 
the players being more professional, the players meeting in a hotel prior to Saturday and having a pre-match meal, the players travelling slightly differently, players being treated better, club suits looking smarter, smartened the place up in terms, and he, he made us more professional, definitely. And he had his ideas on the pitch as well. And then Norman Hunter, he certainly took to me as a player. I mean, I was, I guess, the up-and-coming bright young thing at Barnsley at the time, and... and I guess he recognised it and he he nurtured me, helped me with my defending, certainly. And I was never going to be as good a footballer as him, that's for sure, because in five asides, he was the best. He was mm-hmm. a fantastic player. Let's not forget, Barnsley were a decent side. Yeah, we... we you you yeah. started to emerge, didn't you, from the old fourth division upwards? Yeah, well, we had some good cup runs, didn't we? We, we mm-hmm. remember beating... It doesn't seem the same now that we beat... Well, it does, actually, because we beat uh, Brighton and they were a first division side... We beat Swansea, who were a first division side. I think John Toshat was the manager there. We beat Manchester City, who came to uh, to Oakwell, and we beat them. Uh, and then ended up playing Liverpool uh, in this great cup run that we had, having full houses. And the Manchester City game, unbeknown to you possibly at that time, was going to be something that was very much part of your next part of your future. Yeah, and it was the right time. I knew City were a good club. In the doldrums, of course, but... They were a good side in the then second division. They'd already beaten us uh, that season. They'd beaten Barnsley. We were a decent mm. team. They'd beaten us at Main Road already. Yeah. So, th- so there you go. And uh, it's there that you uh, eventually meet up with Billy McNeil. Yes. Uh, yeah. I went over to meet him. Went. Uh, it was snowing that day, so I couldn't go over Woodhead. I had to use the M62, and that ended up being shut as well. So I came off somewhere near Oldham and drove all the way through, and, and I had to stop at a pub to call Man City to say, I'm sorry, I'm going to be late because of snow. I think about the ease of things now. Oh, I'll just okay. drop him a text. I'll say, no, no. I had to call into a boozer to use a payphone. And I got there, I don't know, probably an hour late, which is not me. I'm, I'm punctual. But meeting Billy was great. I mean, just knowing the history of him and what he'd done and what he'd achieved at Celtic and all that. So it was a, a big moment for me. But... Uh, I have to say, not easy for me there. Although I was, uh, I mean, I mean, I'm 24 and I've played all these league games. I'm pretty naive at negotiating or talking to a, a manager like Billy McNeil in terms of getting me dough. So that was interesting. Billy knew what he was signing. I mean, he, he wanted. I remember him speaking to me about that. He, he kind of wanted that person who had played in that league and wasn't. Wasn't out of the first division. Wasn't out of Manchester City. Wasn't didn't have ideas above my station. I think because listening to some of them, some of them, they were a lot younger than me. Some of them, and I'm listening to them, thinking, "Wow, got some opinion, you know." And th- that playing in this division was going to be easy, uh, and it certainly wasn't. So I had a great relationship with Billy. Let's talk then about this great international career as a player at this stage, because those late eighties days for you and your country were fantastic. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I, I, I don't expect anybody else to say it was a great career. I think I've had one, personally, because I've enjoyed every minute of it. Not being a superstar, I've got through, I've done my job and enjoyed it, and played at a level that I always hoped I could. I was probably told by everybody else I wouldn't. Uh, but to get in the team, I had 10 caps with Owen Hand, and, I, and Owen was, you know, very thankful to him and still speak to him he's still a mate of mine that he actually saw something and he gave me those caps then when he left Jack got the job mm-hmm. and on his first game he didn't he didn't pick me there's a, there's a squad of about 367 and I'm not in it I saw a quote I'm, not, I saw I'm exaggerating with no this no but story. you are no, no, I, every I, Irish player that could play I saw a quote about that so Jack was asked about that and he said yes. oh I know all I need to know about Mick in fact we uh, we still meet up in a pub we're drinking the red lion together <laughs> I know, that was, I'm not so sure he did me any favours but, <laughs> <laughs> no, but at the time it was accepted you could have a few pints you were yeah. okay yeah. But yeah, we used to, I knew him. And he, we kind of, I played against his Sheffield Wednesday teams. I probably played against his Newcastle teams. He knew all about me. And as a centre half, he would have known exactly. So his explanation was probably sound. But bearing in mind, I'd had 10 caps and played up until then. Anyway, we'd, we'd, I'd been to the PFA dinner, actually. And uh, I got back home and, and 
usually with the footballers at that time, had a few, one or two beers on the Sunday night. And I got back on Monday and the phone rings and it's Jack says, do you want to come in? Yeah, absolutely, I want to come in. And I ended up getting on the pitch. John Devine came off injured. I went on and played in the first game was against Wales. And I got, I can't remember, 20 minutes. I ended up being an ever-present with Jack. Yeah. You know, however, I can't even remember how it turned out. I got in that game. I must have got in the next game. And he just, I was in the team. I was an ever-present virtually unless I got injured later on. And, of course, the, the qualification for Euro 88, it would have been. Yes. Was, was the first one, wasn't it? That was a big yeah. one for you guys because uh, you'd uh, already done for uh, one or two other nations that you were you were pleased about. But to get to a tournament and have a tournament, you had a good quality side there, though. We did. And, and Jack, Jack was... He's, I don't think he's remembered for... His, his savvy, his nous, his brain, his, his tactical knowledge, uh, because he was so blunt and matter-of-fact about it and how he said it. And, and he, he got all his players, I mean, he, 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 he trusted his players. He gave them licence to do it in a way he wanted it done. If you didn't do it, you were hauled off. I mean, I, I saw it. He took Liam Brady off after 25 minutes mm. against Germany and put Andy Townsend on. And I'm thinking, wow. That is, afterwards, answering questions for taking Liam off. I think it was because he'd rolled a couple of square passes and they broke on us. 1990, of course, was just this great run all the way to the quarterfinals against Italy. And with all of that in mind, you really, as a team, could you believe what you were doing yourselves? Did you really feel you'd got this yes. inside that you did? Yeah, after yeah. 88. Yeah, yeah and it, I know we're going to talk about Celtic, but 88 was a particularly good year for me because we won the double at Celtic yeah. that year yeah. and did so well in the Euros. Uh, but 90, yeah, we, we, we fancied ourselves. We were, and we were a hard-nosed bunch of, you know, senior pros, really. Uh, I mean, I'm, in 1990, I'm 31. Mm -hmm. And if you look through the team of Frank and Kevin and Ray, not so much... Ray Houghton and Aldo, but they're all they're all in the late twenties, coming up thirties. We were a, we were a proper team then, mm. uh, and not not afraid of anybody. We fancied our chance against anybody. And of course, you played. Um, was it Romania in the penalty shootout? Yes, yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. and then on still got Hardy's shirt. I, I still can't pen it down when I go in the garage to get it out. It's uh, <laughs> Still keeps running away I've from in, I've got them in a box and all the shirts, and uh, <laughs> I'm sure it's still moving. That Hedges shirt, it was brilliant. And he was uh, he was just amazing to uh, not to watch, but to be on the pitch with him, see what he does. Yeah, I did. You played against a few at that sort of stage. I remember Rude Hullet was one of your oh, favourite games. Oh yeah, yeah, he was. He was one of the best I've ever played against. Just physically. Uh, Pace-wise, strength-wise, technique-wise, movement-wise. I mean, they, they used to have this rotation policy, the four strikers used to move, so you'd be up against him, and then it, in one game it was Vim Keeft, and then it was, uh, you know, you, the, the, they'd come from, from out the outside and wingers would come in and he'd move and you'd be looking where they are. And So that was all different technically to us, definitely, the Dutch football. But, you know, ours was a... A potent force as well, mm. completely different, but equally as effective at that mm. time. But uh, Van Basten, of course, had come and yeah. play on the inside. It's quite a combination. Yeah, it, it, Van was, it, was, it was pretty good, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I love those games against them. I love them because of the two sets of fans as well. I remember coming down in, it was in 88 when we played in uh, in Gelsenkirchen. Mm. And we came down, and as we, we came down in an escalator. Now you think you'd made it there if you'd have stayed in with an escalator coming down the pitch. And on the all around, they're just orange shirts. And then we, as you got down the escalator, this opened up, and then there's this big section of our fans, which were just were amazing. So playing against them was brilliant for that as well, because the atmosphere was just superb. You had an audience with the Pope. Yes, we did in '90. Yeah, that. Uh, with um, a priest, Monsignor, who, who travelled with mm. us and, and said if we get to the quarterfinals, 
Mick Byrne, it was the physio there, and Charlie O'Leary. They said we'll get to, we'll get a visit to go and see the Pope, and we all thought, yeah, yeah, good one. And of course, it was when we get to we're playing Italy in Rome, which by the way is just completely bonkers when you think. I'm thinking that now. I wasn't mm. thinking it then. I Olympic thought, well, Stadium, Rome. Oh, you know, we we were up for it. We were ready for it. We thought we'd win. I know. Yeah. And uh, so we get we get to meet the Pope, but we. I'm, I don't know, very naively, I think we all thought the team were going to turn up with the bus and we're going to meet the Pope, but of course there's, there's 5,000 people in, in this place and, and the Pope is on the stage, but we've got to shake hands with him and me as the captain had to give him a, a signed team shirt, which was a real honour. And Absolutely. Yeah, it was, that'll stand out as a, a real big part of that that mm. trip. But Italy in Rome, yeah, that, uh, that was something to look forward to. Still to come on My Sporting Life on Talk Sport. I didn't even know where Leon was, so I had to go and buy a map of Europe to find out where it was in France. I know it was in France, but I didn't know where the bat's in France. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My Sporting Life on Talk Sport with Mick McCarthy. Celtic for you was you could not believe the fans, the club, the atmosphere. You were really happy at Celtic, weren't you? I was. And and full enough in, in that that move helped my Irish career and my career in Scotland as well. Mm. The fact that I was playing for the Republic of Ireland, I was acknowledged, I was accepted greatly going to Celtic. And I think I was I was acknowledged and accepted far greater because it's eighty eight, we're talking about the European Championships, that I was a accepted more as an Irish player as well. Mm. You know, because there was a time when we first went in, when you know all those uh, our accents, you know, Seamus McDonough, broad Yorkshire accent, you know, and uh, Chris Hutton, Tony Galvin, Mick McCarthy, Jerry Payton, all these Anglo-Irish players that were going in, and we weren't doing well. And of course, when you're not doing well, everything's going to be picked on. And of course, that was a part of it. So the me going to Scotland. Maybe to Celtic and not forget Scotland. Me going to Celtic. That was the start of my, I would say, me blossoming as a, as an international player as well. Never mind playing for Celtic. And you know, I mean, you had the League Cup doubles. Was that the best derby that you ever played in? Yes, I think it is the best derby. And I was asked, I was asked because I played in a Man City Man United mm. derby. You scored. I did. Yeah, I did. I was asked which is the best derby, and I said Celtic Rangers, and I, and I and I qualify that on the back of that because everybody's derby is the best derby. Mine used to be Barnsley Sheffield Wednesday, by the way. So, mm-hmm. you know, and and I've been to Millwall, and that's Millwall and West Ham, and and everybody said well, it's not as big as that. It is for your team, mm. whatever you are. Yeah, I played in Leon Saint Etienne's. There's nothing like Celtic and Rangers or Man United and Man City. 
So I, I said that, and I said, well, I qualify that by the fact that when I was at Manchester City, I, I wasn't in one of the biggest teams, and we were expected to get beat. And and Manchester United just seemed so huge to us, having just got promoted. The clubs just sent balls apart to me. Of course, far from it now. But when I go to Celtic, and it's Celtic and Rangers, they are bang level. The fans are incredible at that game. The week before the game, if you play St Mirren on Saturday and you're playing Rangers on the... They can't wait to get that press conference over talking about St Mirren, whatever you've done, to now start talking about the... And it's the build-up all week. Yeah. And, of course, you know, there's that... There's a religion-based thing there as well, which uh, I, I never liked. Don't think it should be. But uh, it's there. Mm. And, of course, Billy McNeil followed you there. Yes. That's your boss. Yeah, there's a lot of people who thought he'd sign me, but it wasn't. It was David Hay. Mm. And my son had just been born when I got the call to go to Celtic. Michael, my wife, Fiona, was in hospital with him still. I travelled up to Carlisle to meet. He drove down David Hay, met him, discussed terms. I rang Fiona and said, do you fancy moving to, to Celtic? <laughs> yeah, no problem. She'd pack another car up and put cling film on the goldfish and put holes in and drive up when it was ready. <laughs> so I was, <laughs> and there you I were, know. crossing the border. I know. I had a brilliant time there. I love. Sadly, sadly, I got injured in the pre-season in Sweden. I slipped on the pitch and I ended up with a, a, a stomach strain that lasts for a long time. And I, I only ended up getting in after, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 weeks of the season because of that stomach strain. But just being there, just being at the games, seeing the fans travelling around, and then when I did get in and I could play, it was great. I just, I just loved it. Yeah. And then you were on to Lyon, as we've mentioned earlier in France, which well, again was a, a a move at a time when you, you you were still prominent at this stage. You were, you know, you were flying as a player and everything. How did that come about? I think it came from the 88 European Championships, personally. I think that came from people watching me. There's a there's an agent called Bernd Killat living in Germany. So I'm, I'm playing for Celtic, and I get, I get a call right out of the blue from Bernd Killat. I'm an agent. But you have, by the way, there's no internet. I didn't even know where Leon was, so I had to go and buy a map of Europe to find out where it was in France. I know it was in France, but I didn't know where the bats in France. And there was this interest... So I didn't. I took it kind of with a well. You love the fact that somebody might be interested in signing you, but then you want to go and look where it is, what sort of a place it is, what sort of a team it is, mm. and of course they were. They just they were looking like getting promoted. I think they were setting it up. If they got promoted, then I would go there. Mm. I thought nothing of it because I had another couple of calls. But obviously they made touch with the with the club. I'd now had two full seasons with the club. I had had a. A knee problem. I'm, I'm, I'm 32, and I thought at that time if I get a chance to move and I can move my family, all the kids would learn to speak French. We'd have three years there. It mm. would. It was a great opportunity to do it then. Not whether I was wanting to leave Celtic, but you know it was an opportunity for me. I th I'd only got one year left at Celtic, and I was convinced. Well, I, there's no way I'm getting another one. I don't think at 33 stroke 34. But uh, interestingly, because it was. Um, Raymond Dominic was the coach, and he was... You liked him, though. I loved you? him. He was great, right on my street, proper tough playing full-back. He was tough as a manager and all, but I, I got on great with him. But he came to watch me play, and we are playing against Hearts, and I got sent off after 12 minutes, I think. I'm not sure he even... I think he saw me walking off. I'm not sure he saw me play at all. <laughs> and... Uh, I say. But he, he quite, I think, I'm not sure if he did, but he quite liked the fact that that's how I played. He wanted, he wanted somebody, somebody like that. He wanted he? somebody like that. Yeah. Not somebody who went, took an exception when somebody had a nasty tackle and I went and got a grip of them and, you know, he didn't want that. But he wanted somebody in the mould of me that played that way, was, I guess, a leader on the pitch. Yeah. Although it didn't seem like that as I was walking off up the tunnel. But anyway, yeah. that's... Uh, and your family really embraced Leon. Yeah, we they moved really lock, it. stock and barrel. Yeah, yeah. we. Uh, I got this lovely um, quote here. Tu parles français comme une vache espagnole. Comme une vache espagnole. Yeah. Well, that's like what, a Spanish cow. You well, spoke the, the French like a Spanish cow. The used to tell cow. me that uh, tu parles français comme une vache espagnole. You speak French like a Spanish cow. But I did try. <laughs> you know, it was it was great. And I loved my time there. Yeah, I loved it. it. I can see that. And it, of course, added uh, red wine, 
lovely bread and Roquefort <laughs> yeah, to yeah. your uh, yes. menu. You love those three, don't you? Yeah, yes, I still like a glass of red wine. I still like my crusty bread and I still like my, uh, my Roquefort cheese, although I don't, uh, I try not to eat too much of it, but it's fabulous. It yeah. is. And eventually it was going to be a club that you come back to that uh, you're on loan to start with and yeah. then you sign for Millwall that was to then really start the next part after you finished playing through injury as a manager. Well, it would seem strange now, but I, I was actually in my bathroom in, in Shemandy's own, where we lived, just putting the last roll of wallpaper on the on the bathroom. And I'd, I'd decorated it and I was... And Fiona came and said, there's a guy called Bob Pearson on the phone for So, from Millwall, OK. Uh, I wasn't playing... And and I wasn't playing because I had, I had a knee problem. And I was recovering for it. And Remy Gard and Bruno Engotti were the two centre-halves in the team. Now, there might be a lot of things where I'm not daft. I quite clearly recognised I wasn't getting back in there with them. So when Bob asked me to go on, uh, go to Millwall on loan, there was 10 games left. They were in the first division as well. It was a, it was a no-brainer for me because I wanted to play in the World Cup in 1990. <clears throat> well, that year, because I left March 1990. It was St. Patrick's Day I left. And, and sign for Millwall. That was a that was a certainly a difference to Leon, that's for sure. But I look, again, I, I went there and that that was that was a great club for me. Playing there and as a manager, player manager as a manager, it was it was great for me. Mm. And again, I think in a similar way to a lot of the clubs that you've been to, you had an affinity with the fans and understood the fans more than let's say my side of the business. It was very easy at that stage just to say that they were a, a bunch of hooligans and nothing more because, of course, they were much more than that. They were and still are. They're, they're, a, they're a passionate bunch. They love... They love. Uh, you know, I think inherently they're like, they're like from where I'm from, a mining community. They were from Dockers' community. Mm. And if you don't work out as a docker, you ain't going to get paid. And, and I've took the view always as a footballer. If you don't work out as a footballer, you don't deserve to be paid. Mm. You know, that's the one thing you have to be. You have to, you have to, you have, you have to be fit and you don't have to run around to your optimum. That you can do. Everybody can do that. All of us four in this room can do that. We can get to our optimum fitness and run around as hard as we can. Mm. But you might not be a good footballer, but that's different. So I, I, I've always thought that any any place I've been that has those kind of values is going to em embrace mm. what I think about the game should be and how it is played and, and you know, the, 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 the work that you do. And I, and I was. I was... I got warmly embraced by the Millwall fan. I'm not sure my debut did when I scored an own goal. That didn't go down too well, but I hit, and I hit the post as well. <laughs> <laughs> I was going for a brace. 92 to 96, you spent the time at Millwall as your first managerial position. You succeeded Bruce Rioch, and you got to the playoffs as well early in your career. There, what, Were you ready for management by that stage? Uh, probably not. I had come back from Leon with that in mind that if I'd stayed in Leon and not playing, then I would be forgotten back back at home. If I came back home, I could play. I could play in the World Cup, which I did. And uh, I could then start thinking about coaching and progressing in a, as a career after playing. But was I ready for it? Are you ever ready for it? I'll tell you what I was ready for. I was ready to... I, I was fine at the managing players. Mm -hmm. I was fine at organising things. I was, I, I, I'm saying that, and I think I was, because I embraced that. Mm -hmm. And even in making decisions, was I fine at, as being a coach? No. I'd done no coaching sessions, I'd done no coaching lessons. The other reason I'm sat here is through Ian Evans, through Taff. He, he was the reserve team coach, so when, I'd been injured as well at the time and I'd played quite a few games with Taff. I got the job and I, I straight away, my first job, he was going to be my... Assistant manager, and of course you had a great relationship. Well, I played with him at Barnsley, years. and public thanks to him for helping me get through that formative year. Your country comes calling again. Second job in management, and a national job in '96 after Jack had resigned. Yeah, well, if you ask me, was I ready for management for in football <laughs> at all? Was I ready for international football? Probably, absolutely not. But. I was never turning it down. Absolutely. Was I going to say, no, I don't think I'm ready. No chance. Because, by the way, a little bit of me thought I was ready. And then yeah. from there, I mean, you, you you had the great success that you had at that stage, 96 through till 2002. Yeah. 
big six years for you. It was huge, yeah. And uh, some good players there. Continuously, like yeah, I had some good players that I inherited, but then unfortunately, you know, likes of Ray Houghton and Kaz, uh, Tony Cascarino works here, mm-hmm. and he does. Although Kaz played me for a long time, and and he only ended up leaving after we played Turkey in our second playoff uh, final. Yeah. And they were great for me, those those players. Kevin Moore and played in the first one, but they, they started to move on. So then it was, what I had to do was bring in, you know, uh, Richard Dunn, I think Gary Breen, Kevin Kilban. Strong Damon men, though. Duff. Strong men, though. Oh, great, good players. Matt Holland. Robbie Keane, Matt Holland, Kins, Matt Kinsler, Ian Hart. We were, you know, really good players, and and when you look back at them, they're all playing in top clubs. And of course, that's that's the team I had the success with. Yeah, and uh, they were brilliant, absolutely great, uh, great time I had going to the World Cup with them. South Korea and Japan. Yeah, and uh, I know you don't talk about Roy Keane and what happened in nope. Saipan. No, no. Can, can I just ask you? Did you make a conscious effort? that I don't need to talk about Roy Keane. Well, I don't. It's 18 years on. And I, and I always say, whatever happened there, uh, and, and I'm not going to discuss it, no. is, uh, shouldn't, shouldn't reflect on what my career has been and what his has been. Because, you know, he was one of the best players I ever played with and ever managed. Full stop. And it, it, whatever happened there, shouldn't it? And it's 18 years on, we're all doing different things. But that was something else that I've had to deal with, you know? And it was up there with one of the biggest stories from the World Cup. If you talk about Bobby Moore being sent home mm. or you name it, the hand of God with Maradona, mm. let me tell you, I think the story that I was involved in had more pages covered in Ireland than any of us did, that's for sure. Uh, but it's 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 finished. That's done, and I don't think I don't think eighteen years on is it. Mm. It's it's not relevant. You had a great run in that competition again. Yeah, we did, and that, that was it. That, I have to say that was, it was a it was a difficult time because of everything else that was going on. Uh, I remember, you know, the first game against Cameroon went out. I, I can't. I can honestly say, seldom have I felt as lonely as I did that day, walking out onto the pitch, and our fans are behind the goal. And I wasn't quite sure. There's, there's mixed messages coming to me whether the, whether the, you know, did I do right? Did I do wrong? What it was? I, my own views, and I still have. And I thought I'm, I'm, I can't. I'm not going over there to get either. You know, yeah, abuse. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't going to be prepared for either. So I left the lads to go over there. I sat in the dugout. Let them all get on with it. Didn't think it was appropriate actually, because then also it became about me, and I didn't want that. So we won nil down, and then Matty Holland equalises, and we played well in that game against Cameroon, against a really good Cameroon side as well. And uh, you could see then afterwards, you know, with the it was about the football. It was how it was how we were going to play, and whether it was about you know it didn't matter who the personalities were, it was the team and about the winning, and that's what I wanted it to be, and that's how it turned out to be. Although there was there was always that <laughs> the background, believe me, but. It then became the football, yeah. and we, we played well. And I think you did, and I mean, you played so well. I mean, getting into the second round, and then Spain, and the penalty shootout. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we did get in the second round, and I think you know, that should be mentioned, because we, I know we played uh, Saudi Arabia and won 3-0, and there's, there's Damien Duff doing his bow, and Robbie Keane scored. We, we were the only team to score against mm-hmm. Germany, uh, and played us so well in that game. And me, Dad, dancing on the pitch. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know if it had gone in the net or what. I hadn't got a clue. <laughs> but anyway, I've stopped Dad dancing since then. Uh, that to get to that point was just brilliant. You know, we'd we'd, we'd achieve what we'd set out to do, but we were now playing Spain, uh, and I, I thought we'd watched them. We sat and watched them, and they played really well. And I remember our lads getting stuff signed, and I said, "Hold on a minute, you're not thinking we're going home here, are you? Let's let's just." Clear something up. Don't be don't be going around getting all your stuff signed because you think we're losing this game. I remember having the meeting about that, and we played so well against them. That was a, that mm. was a great game. And penalties, penalties let us down. And that really was uh, the beginning of the end for Brendan Menton, who was the general secretary. He resigned, didn't he? Shortly after that, you didn't stay on that much longer anyway. But uh, 
No, know? I well, I went after the I went after the Switzerland game, the only yeah. the only competitive game I ever lost at mm. at uh, Lansdowne Road, and that's that's interesting there because of because of the, the, the ongoing of after after the the World Cup and yeah. what had happened. It was always going to be uncomfortable. I, I was I've never been as disappointed with the fact that I had to leave that team behind because we were they were such a good team and such great lads. But you know, it was me being there was having an adverse effect on it on the whole thing. I should, I should, <laughs> I, I never ever felt before. But old Brendan Menton and some of the people I'm to deal with, I should feel sorry for them actually. Uh, rather than, well, I, don't, I never felt sorry for myself. Yeah. It's part, part of the job. It's gone, part of my job. Yeah. Um, but leaving, yeah, I, I, it's not what I wanted to do. But I'd made my mind up. I'd made my mind up at one all, and I tried mm-hmm. to win the game, and we got done with a twenty yard or something. And uh, but I'd already made my mind up at half time that whatever happened, I was going. Yeah. Well, you won twenty nine. You drew twenty of those games, and uh, you lost a lot less than that. And uh, it was a, a career that set you up once more for the big time, as far as clubs were concerned. And Sunderland, <laughs> yeah. another club that didn't have an awful lot of money at that stage. Well, they were soon not going to have because we're going to get relegated. I joined about nineteen points with nine games to play. What was your thoughts on that? I can't. I've got to get in. They're offering me this job. I'm going to do it. I'm looking forward already to next season. I have to say, I'm 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 pretty much an optimist in terms of what I can do. I think optimist turns into naivety. I think. <laughs> I don't know where that. How does that get from being optimistic to naive? I'm not quite sure. Uh, Hindsight. That's how you. That's how you. You always. Like I said before, if you don't think you can do it when you go in, you might as well not do exactly it, you know. Exactly so there's, there's got to be that little bit of, is it arrogance? Is it, is it self-belief that you can do it? Or even if, I guess, even if it didn't go right, that I could do it upon relegation that we could get back yeah. with Sunderland. Because it's, it's a great club and I love my time there. We had nine points when I joined. We had nine points when we got relegated. I tried to win every game. We got beaten them all. There was no point trying to draw them. Absolutely none, because, you know, nine draws wasn't going to keep us up. Unfortunately for me, I lost the next two in the championship as well, so I'd lost 11 games on the bounce. And we went to Preston. Had we lost that game, we'd won, we'd have won, beat the record of defeats. And I remember the club, and I can't remember the name of the club who has that record, or had it at the time. I went into the press room, mm. the book, I had to go near the boardroom, and they were all outside thanking me that we hadn't beaten their record. And you can imagine what I said to them. I can imagine exactly what <laughs> you, you said. You know where you can put it, because I didn't want it. Yeah. And uh, and then, anyway, we finished we finished third in the semi-final of Cup that year. So I believed in the club. I believed the fact that I, I could do something with Sunderland. It was a great club for me, and I loved my time there. And you did. Did yeah, something did. with them straight away next season. We, got, we won the championship next season, yeah. And we won the championship on a load of... Free transfers, low budget signings. Liam Lawrence from Mansfield for two hundred grand. Um, Gary Breen coming on a free yeah. from the Was world. F- I just I think we, we we signed Andy Wells from Stockport yeah. for fifteen grand. We signed Neil Collins from Dundee for like thirty grand or something. Mm. I got shut of all the the ones of the Premier League that wanted to leave. Mm. Who'd got that club relegated? By the way, I'd excuse somebody. I know <laughs> Mickey Gray who'll be on here. The, people like him who, who did care about the club mm. and I, I wouldn't be levelling that at him because he'd be turning out week in week out because I had him at uh, Wolves as a 35 year old I know he cared because I could see him then uh, but some of them were disgraceful that that, that were playing there not all of them levelling that all of them mm. couldn't wait to get out of the place to see it was going not going well didn't want to play, want to get out. I had Jody Craddock there, and he's another one who was a real stalwart, and I wouldn't level that at him. But wow, there was a there was a, a real bad stench of people not trying and not wanting to be there. And when when that changed, and we had all these youngsters, other players coming in, it changed. It was a different class. They were great. And from there, of course, you moved to Wolves. Yes, and yeah. what a what a job you did there as well. You know, again, once more, you had to look at some youth players and lower league players. And yeah, yeah, it, it was. We didn't have we didn't have great funds there. I remember standing on the uh, outside with my press conference. They were asking me about getting promoted, and I said, "MM, 
stands for Mick McCarthy, not Merlin the Magician. Of course, I was going to talk. You've had one. I, I or two wasn't of them. trying to. You be come from. You plonker. They called you at one stage at Sunderland to Merlin the magician at Wolves. Yeah, well, I've had worse than plonker, so I'm not worried about that. I'll probably get it again somewhere else. I hope so. <laughs> I quite like Merlin the magician. Well, it's like, it's, there's, do you know what? There's nothing better than changing people's opinion of you as well. Yeah. yeah. Because the only way you're going to do that is by getting results. The only way, and you know, we won the league at Sunderland, and we won the league at Wolves. We had. I was into my third season in the Premier League at Wolves, but I, hey, listen, that's what happens. It's uh, and yeah, I can I can honestly say, hand on heart, I go back to Sunderland, I get a a great warm welcome there, and, I, and and well thought of, and likewise when I go back to Wolves. Right. Now Nottingham Forest at that time were interested. It didn't happen, but Ipswich did. Yes. Yeah, after Wolves, and I was out. It seemed quite a long time that to the November. Well, it was a long time. I, I, you know, I mean, I thought I was, I kind of thought I was better, not better than Ipswich, by the way. So all the Ipswich fans I've aggravated in the past, I'm not saying that. I thought I was better than a team at the bottom of the championship. Mm-hmm. All right. So hope I've qualified that for all those people that yeah. love me in Ipswich or not. Uh, the club appealed to me quite clearly. It did. Being bottom with. Uh, seven points after 13 games didn't but I went to meet Marcus Marcus Evans and I wanted to get back into work and I always remember Jack Charlton saying to me I was out of work after Sunderland get back to bloody work lad you need to work or you'll be forgotten and I tell other managers that now who are out of work get back because others are coming up and you'll suddenly be a forgotten man and of course, I remembered all the, the Bobby Robson, George Burley having such great success mm-hmm. there. I went to meet him, uh, took the job because I thought it was a great job for me to take. Seven points at the bottom of the league. We ended up, I think it was 54 points that year from 33 games, which is pretty much like playoff stuff if you, if you get the point and half a game all the way through. So, yeah, I did a... I did it, but we did. Me, TC, and the staff, we did a good job that year. Yeah, and that, and it, you stayed there obviously for some time. And, yeah, we did. Uh, you well, we, you we did well. I Consolidated. Think, I think this we finished four, it, fourteenth that year. Yeah, stayed up, and fifty points went down that year. Mm. I remember playing at, um, at Millwall, and we had a nil-nil draw over East. It was the worst game ever. But I, coming off, I said to TC, that could keep us up, you know. <laughs> we went into the dressing room and. I think Peterborough were in the league, Barnsley were in the league. Everybody had won. And we dropped to within three points of relegation and we've got Leicester coming next. Mm. And uh, we beat we beat Leicester on the following Saturday and we ended up staying up. It looked like we'd stayed up easily. Had we heck. You know, so that was a real that was a real big ask. And that was a and then I think we finished fourteenth, we finished ninth, sixth, seventh, twelfth was my last one in charge. So, you know, I said before, where did it all go wrong? Exactly that. I mean, were you, you know, in the end, you were sort of told that you were going before you went, but then in the end, you decided to go early enough. And I I, I don't blame you for that. Well, what? I was, no, I've been talking to Marcus and uh, bef- before the end of that year before, mm. I guess in 17, the talk was always when I spoke to him about having a three-year contract and staying. And I'm saying, really? And <laughs> I'm not sure I even want it. And uh, because, you know, I was getting a fair bit of abuse at that stage, mm. uh, I'll never understand why, and even more so when I see what's happened to the club. But uh, I, I, at the end of it, I said, look, Marcus, I've got to come and see you because any contract wasn't forthcoming. I'm thinking, this is not right for me anyway. It's not right, you know, my family, anybody want to come to the games. So I went to see him and I, you know, my view was I wasn't staying. And Marcus had the same view, mm-hmm. so uh, I was quite happy to do it. You know, I was—I don't know how many games I got to go then. Eight, I think. No, there must have been more to go than that. So that—that—that that, 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 I didn't—we didn't announce that, of course. I was just myself and Marcus accepting that I was going to go. Um, but that, that came to a head, of course. We went to uh, Brentford and we lost at Brentford. Mm-hmm. So. I uh, I had a word with him and said, look, I'm, I'm going to have to go. I'll do the Barnsley game. And I'm going. 
So and it was great. I have no axe to grind with Marcus Evans, and mm. uh, I still see it now that he's still getting stick, and yet he's pumped. I don't know how many millions into that club. I do wish I'd had a few of those millions that have been spent having sold my players Tyrone Mings for eight million and Waggy for five million that cost two hundred and fifty grand and uh, Adam Webster for three million that cost seven hundred and fifty grand and there's a few you know mm. I would like to have been given the opportunity to invest a bit and and try but I I always said I understood the gig and I did it to the best of my ability and. Uh, I, I still look back on that as uh, my real happy times and proud of the job I did. Absolutely did. You'll and be getting calls about this as soon as this comes out, I'm sure. Well, you know what? It's uh, it's your life. That's the whole Absolutely. point about this. Not, not anybody else's. And your family have always been so strong for you. And I, I, I guess you, you counsel each other. You know what's what. You know how it all works. And, you know, the older you get as well, the more you understand, I, I think. What what comes with What comes with age? I think perspective on life, uh, an ability to, uh, if it's his perspective, that see things slightly differently and, you know, not take as much offence to everything that is that, you know, that certain things are complete BS that, you know, yeah. you don't get involved in all that. And and the, the, the good things, is, there's the good things. There's loads of bad things. It's hard to get out of bed. I can't jump over a five-bar gate. I don't play football anymore. Loads of things like that. No. Uh, I wake I, I wake up after about three hours and I get six hours kip a night. Yeah. But I'm all right on it. But the good things are, is that the perspective on life? I think that the taking enjoyment out of everything that you possibly can. Yeah. And me three grandkids. Fantastic. They are absolutely brilliant. So they're, they're, they're something that... You don't get that till you get 60 when you become a granddad, I guess. Well, when I think even at our ages, we both are the same age and having been born in the same year, is that you get a bit older and you understand the right thing to do is to not judge people outside their time. And it's been great talking about your time so far. It's not by finished by <laughs> any means, but what a 60 years or so you've had and what a complete football life. And Mick, Thank you very much indeed for sharing it with us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Talk Sports My Sporting Life with me, Mark Saggers. Thanks for listening. And make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify for more top Talk Sport content. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.